2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be starting in verse 3. He made you just sit down. I'm going to go ahead and make you stand up again. I know, I know, I know. Go ahead, let's stand up. We're doing this together. Verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You may be seated. Father, I pray that this word would grab a hold of our hearts and our minds um, afresh. That we would be your people, unhindered, unapologetic, passionate, fulfilled, joyful. It would just be our delight to do uh, what you say. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so this is a mountain of a passage, so let's go ahead and dive in. His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. That is a wonderful verse. Um, it's almost perfect. Actually, it's too perfect. There's actually a problem with it. And the problem is not in what is written. The problem is the fact that you and I quite often reject it, and we don't even really realize that we're doing it. This is a great verse. Why would we reject it? Not on paper, at least, we wouldn't. If you read it and I was talking to you, you there's no way you would say, yeah, I reject that verse. The problem comes whenever we start to live our lives. We reject it often because if we actually believe that God's divine power has given us everything that we need, we wouldn't spend so much time chasing after stuff that's ultimately just going to burn. The average American, uh, if you Google this, you can find the results. So I'm not like making this up. A lot of people just make up statistics. I hear like 60% of them. I made that up. But the average American, and you can fact check me later if you'd like, but uh, one study apparently said that the average American is exposed to a specific number of advertisements every day. And uh, just in your head, go ahead and think of a number, see if you get close to what the findings were. Uh, the actual number that it says that we are exposed to every day is four to 10,000 advertisements a day. That number is both shocking and not shocking. So, okay, think about one website. There's 40 on the sides, and then there's the pop-up one that you're trying to hit the X, but then that accidentally takes you to another website, and that's another 50 right there, and that's just you trying to figure out if Arby's is open. <laughs> You've been on social media, you, radio, television, billboards. 4,000, let's go with a conservative number. 4,000 tiny little voices every day chirping at you, trying to get your attention. And they're not innocuous voices. They're real voices, and they all kind of have the same tone and tenor. What they're doing is they're saying, hey, you, your house sucks. Get a better one. You're too fat. 
Your skin, it's terrible. We've got an $85 an ounce cream that'll take away the spots. Uh, you, you used to be younger and you need to be more virile. We got testosterone boosters. Get back in there like, Mark, like Frank Thomas, just working out. You look like Pastor Mike one day. <laughs> the voices are constant and they yell at us that we are not enough. And I hate to kind of say it, but we bought it a lot of times. A lot of us have, because there's no way that 4,000 voices yelling, fighting for your attention all day, every day, can have a zero effect on you. It's the very air that we breathe is this idea that stuff is going to make us happy. We don't reject this verse on purpose. We do it just by living in the culture that we live in. His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. What if you woke up tomorrow believing that and stopped chasing after so much silly stuff? Oh, that would be nice. To actually rest and not think, I got to be skinnier, I got to be more fit, I've got to have more money, I've got to have more of whatever. To wake up in the grace of Christ knowing that you have been given everything that you need. We don't want this verse sometimes because we like stuff. I'll be honest, jet skis are fun. Full wheelers are great. I've never been mad on either of those. But we get it twisted to think that it'll actually satisfy the depths of our being, the very, very depths of our soul, of our identity, of who we are. We get it twisted so easy. And I realize that this is the Sunday after Black Friday, and there are some people who might not be in this room or in churches all across the United States because they're exhausted from throwing elbows at a Target, you know, Target parking lot. Black Friday, we're all about it sometimes. Sadly, the church has probably been affected by this materialism more than we realize. His divine power has given you everything that you need for life and for godliness. I love how Peter, he doesn't pull punches because this is the exact same Peter who with back in the gospel story uh, when Jesus is being arrested, Peter had very little context, whips out a sword and starts chopping ears off. Peter is a ready, fire, aim kind of guy, and I love that about him because he's coming right at all of us 2,000 years later, and he's doing it with some incredible accuracy. We often will take God and church, and we put it in one category, but then the rest of our everyday life, we live in a very different way. We live kind of in an almost default manner where we just go after stuff that everyone else says will make us happy. Get that college degree, get that big house, get that nice car, get that relationship. Start swiping left and right on your Tinder app or whatever. He doesn't let us do that. He doesn't let us keep that separation. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. What God has provided for us is not some ethereal heaven on the other side of death. It is a very real provision for right here and right now. It is God made manifest in his people and in his supernatural provision. Whew. Peter is not leaving a lot of places for us to hide as Americans. Have we bought into the lie that stuff will make us happy? Afraid that we have. Let's read what Jesus said. You could turn to Matthew 6. If you're not a super fast Bible person, that's fine. I'm just going to read it. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. But we're anxious, aren't we? Often. Anxious about well, everything, about having enough, about being enough. And yet, everything that we've ever needed has been given to us by his divine power. So one time I was, I was headed to work, it was like seven years ago, and I was, I was a little early, which is not common. Uh, so I had to be there at 10.30. It's like 10, 10, 10, 15. And I decide I'm going to go ahead and get a little, little, little brunch for myself. Dairy Queen's right across the street. They got biscuits and gravy. I'm a fan of biscuits and gravy. Let's do this. So I pull in and what do you think I asked for? Biscuits and gravy. That's right. The lady says, we stopped serving breakfast. My bad. That totally get that. Yep. That was my fault. Uh, I did not read on the menu when breakfast stopped. So I was like, oh, okay, great. No problem. Give me one second. All right, I'll take the lunch number four, whatever it was. She goes, uh, we don't serve lunch until 1030. My response was, well, I'm not sure what to do now. <laughs> she, she goes, oh, um, yeah, how about we do lunch? I was like, that sounds good. Let's do that. The promises of a menu or of God are of no value if they're not accessible. That's why I love Peter so much, because he doesn't just leave us with this idea, hey, you got everything you need. You're good. Stop complaining. Because I, 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 like you, have been in and am in places where I need from God every moment by moment. Some of you are on all different ends of the spectrum. We've got people who you have more money than you know what to do with, and some of you are just begging or praying that God helps you through the next month. Mm. Peter doesn't leave us just to wonder about where God's provision comes from. He tells us, keep reading, through our knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and his excellence. That is amazing. Your saving knowledge of Jesus Christ provides a way for you to understand, to feel, to know, and to be a part of what God is doing in the world and you are taken care of. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Your food on your clothing. And the funny thing about this is, I would say probably most of us in this room, we have not worried about where our next meal or where our clothes are going to be coming from in a long time. And yet we're still anxious. That means something is wrong. Maybe we've bought in to 4,000 to 10,000 little voices yelling at us all the time that stuff is going to make you complete. Stuff is going to make you better. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. The saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Knowing that he has given us everything that we 
need. Now, uh, the job that I came from, I was there for 10 years, and for the last seven of it, uh, I had been doing training, and that was mostly with people that were in their 20-somethings all the way up to their mid-30s. And that's, there's something that was really kind of great about that. I got to like counsel them and mentor them and lead them into like how to work at, you know, the place that we were at. And the great thing about it is that I came to a conclusion uh, pretty much that's universally true of anybody that's in their 20s or 30s. No one has a clue what they're doing with their life. If we were an amen church, I'd be hearing them right now, (laughs) especially from the parents of 20-somethings and 30-somethings. We... We often kind of get lost, we get rudderless and aimless, and we don't quite know what our life is supposed to look like. In fact, I've talked to many of you here, and I feel the same thing quite often. But again, Peter does not leave us without a direction and without a hope. He has called us to something. You don't know what your life is supposed to look like. You'll probably just default into chasing after stuff. Get that good job. Go to that good college. Get that sweet jet ski and call your social, uh, your small groups pastor, okay? That's what you'll do. But your life is supposed to look like the glory and excellence of Jesus. You have a purpose in life. By default, if you are saved, if he has given you saving knowledge, you not only have everything that you need, he's also given you a direction and a place to go and a thing to be about, a purpose to bleed and to even possibly die for. We are called to his glory and his excellence. We reject that sometimes because we want stuff to be about our glory and our excellence. You seen how good I am at stuff? Really great at tic-tac-toe. Checkers, don't step to me, right? We want stuff silly, trivial things that we love to parade about ourselves. That is not where Peter lets us sit. And I love how we've been through one verse, and there are so many more. I promise we're going to speed up. But he's saying in just one verse more than, than, than many people, and really what many people need to hear. And he's just so succinct. I think that is pretty incredible. All right, onward. Verse 4. By which... He has granted to us his precious and very great promises. These promises that started in the garden with Adam and stretch all the way through Abraham, Jacob, David, Solomon, all the way to us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus had provided for us everything that we need because it's the Father who gives it. And Jesus said very clearly, I and the Father are one. If you want to come to the Father, you come through me. Everything the Father has given me, I give to you and I give freely. What if you woke up tomorrow and fully believed, I don't have to keep chasing after all this stuff. And you rested on the finished work of Christ. Not just for your salvation, but for your actual life. Because Peter says, life and godliness. You've got food in the fridge, give glory to God. You've got clothes on your back, give glory to God. Christmas presents aren't as fancy as the neighbors, who cares? It's all going to burn. You've got something better. You've got a hope that will never die. There's more verses here. Let's do it. Let's keep going. So that through them, talking about the great and precious promises, which we can sum, sum, uh, sum up as the gospel, 
so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. If you're trying to do Christianity in this room and you're trying to do it alone without the very purpose of it, being a relationship with Christ, that, how exhausting is that? Stop. Don't keep trying that. It's a terrible way to do Christianity. Just walk with him. He loves you. He forgives you. He knows your weaknesses. And he's, he's wanting to walk with you. In fact, he even promised as Jesus was leaving, he said, I'm never going to leave you and I'm not going to forsake you. I'm with you until the very end. I'm going to bring you home. Everything we need has been given to us by God's divine power through our knowledge of him to his glory and excellence. Because he is glorious and he is excellent. Whew. Now, uh, recently, the second best researcher, scientist in my home uh, did, a, did a study. Uh, this study uh, had a very small sample size. Uh, and the sample size uh, kind of leads the way to like the margins for error in this scientific study uh, were terrible. The methodology uh, was me thinking about it for two minutes. Uh, but the research, I think, was profound. Uh, so what the findings were was I asked the question to myself, what is the most detrimental thing to Christians uh, in our current context of American Christianity? And I was able to, to, to we were able to, to, to deduce through rigorous seconds of research uh, a phrase. And the phrase was, ooh, sorry, I've just been so busy lately. I don't know what happened along the way. But somewhere, we as believers started to give each other a place where that excuse is valid. Now, there are seasons where someone gets sick or something happens or the business is failing and you got to go all hands on deck. You're going from bell to bell, wire to wire every day, and you are genuinely busy. But I would say uh, nine times out of ten, we're not busy. We're messed up. What is our life supposed to look like? I wonder if there's any writer of an epistle... Who, uh, who would give us some clarity on that. Oh, wait, Peter. For this very reason, make every effort. Oh, I'm sorry. Actually, I skipped over a little part there. Uh, sorry, back to the middle of verse four. So that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You have got a direction for your life You've got a trajectory that you are now living to the glory and the excellence of Jesus, and you are also going to that. While you're doing that, you're also going away from something, and it's the sinful corruption that's in the world. Again, based on statistics, actually real ones that real scientists did, um, it is very likely that a large percentage of the men and even some of the women in this room have looked at pornography within the last 48 hours. Based on just the time of year, many of you have gotten into an argument with family members because of stuff that you just won't let go. There's a corruption. There's a sinful desire that is pulling us backwards. At least it wants to. But you, brother and sister, have everything that you need for life and for godliness. So your life should look a specific way. My life should look a specific way. What should it look like? We've escaped the corruption. And now we go to verse 5. 
For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness, godliness, godliness, brotherly affection, brotherly affection, love, right? Went through that really fast because we don't have time. But those are the things that we are now to commit our heart, our mind, our strength, our passions to. Your life has maybe more direction than you ever, ever realized as a believer. I constantly forget this. That's the reason I want to bring it to you today is to remind you that we have a great purpose. But if, if you're like me, you forget it often. And even now, you may be reading these verses and you're thinking, yeah, uh, my life is not consumed with a passion of developing my virtue and my godliness, perseverance, no thank you, brotherly affection, uh, Peter knows. Again, this is a brilliant, brilliant thing that the Bible is. Peter knows, and he says it in this way, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have all been there. If you are a new Christian and you've not, you will be there. There are times where we just slide into a place where we're just passionless. We're just not really doing much with our knowledge of Jesus. That happens. And there's no hope for you. Wait. Peter doesn't say that. In fact, he says, for whoever lacks these qualities, right, that persistence to grow in the virtues, he is so nearsighted that he is blind. Harsh. Quite harsh from, from Peter. Uh, no one ever, when they were describing Peter, who probably knew him, I don't think they ever were like, oh, Peter, the, the, the one that's super chill, the one that's super relaxed. Uh, no, the one that cut that guy's ear off, like, out of nowhere. Like, oh, that Peter. Yeah, 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 he's wild. Make sure you know where his hands are. Right? An intense guy. I would expect him to yell at us. Especially like in the American context where like there's some stuff in Revelation talking about lampstands and how like the church is under attack constantly and whenever you're actually uh, quite affluent, a lot of times the church gets really under attack because of the fact that we become uh, victims of our own success and our own prosperity. Peter doesn't do that. Peter does exactly what you and I need. He points us to the grace of God because there is more grace. Let's read it together. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. That's awesome. He says, if you've stopped being productive, he doesn't say, did you stop attending church? Did you stop tithing? Did you stop going to small group? He didn't say any of that. He didn't give you three steps to restore your marriage or five steps to become a better churchman. He said, if you stop being productive in the gospel, if your life stopped creating things from your hands that built the church, that loved others, that fed the orphans, the widows, the hungry, the needy, if you stopped being productive in the things of God, in the knowledge of God, he calls you to one thing and one thing only, go back to the cross. But that's where you have to start. He doesn't tell you you got to fix it on your own. He says, go back to the beginning where Christ, who loved us first so that we could love him. 
He brought us back to the very foot of the cross that we would die with him, be resurrected and raised to a new life in Jesus. Oh, so I don't even have to fix myself when I'm the one that broke me? No. So that means I just get to sit on my hands for the rest of my life and do nothing. No, for this very reason, add with every bit of your being to your, vert, to your faith, virtue, and onward and upward with all the qualities that make us look like the glory and excellence reflectors that we are. This is, this is all of the Christian life in like so few verses that it blows me away. And it's the verse that I go to quite often to remind me of the fact that this is not on me. I don't have to fix me. And I do screw up so much. But there is more grace. And so I sit at the cross. And I ask him to change me and to transform me. And for me to rest in the fact that he has provided everything that I will ever need. Both in the past, in the present, and in the future. That does not, that doesn't mesh super great during the holiday season. Because we make it about stuff so quickly. We make it about our own desires, our own selfishness. I want to call you and ask you to, to fall at the feet of Jesus and to ask him to bring you out of the sinful desires and the corruption that's in the world and into a place where you start reflecting his glory and excellence. I'm going to pray for us, then I'm going to ask Pastor Mike to come up and uh, lead us in the time of reflection. Um, I just want to read just one last time. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything. What more could we ever ask for? Why are we so busy if this is true? Why are we so busy if this is true? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your love. And I pray over every soul here, we are all in a culture that is constantly shouting at us the gospel that we will be made better through stuff. And we make ourselves so busy to run after so many things that really don't have anything to do with you, with your body, with the family of God. Help us to engage with the Bible in such a way that it reads us just as much as we read it. Let every person in this room who feels anxiety constantly, let them lean on you. Let your forgiveness and your grace to us be the start. Let us be transfixed and in awe of your glory and your excellence so that it moves us to fight with every fiber of our being to grow and to become people that look just like Jesus. Thank you that you don't have us doing it alone, that we are partakers of your divine nature. For those that are trapped in sins, that they just, they're so stuck, they feel like they can't even confess. Would you bring them back to the cross? 
There's nothing that can separate us from your love. Help them to rest in that truth and to believe fully and completely that you have provided everything we need for life, our food, our our day-to-day life, and godliness, the forgiveness that we need. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Father, those words are so true for us. Please take our hearts and seal them to your heart, to your mind, to your call on our life to be, to become more like your son. Give us a love that doesn't start with us and definitely doesn't end with us, but spreads to everyone that's around us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.